Thank you that you are the one who searches hearts. That there is no one under under this under heaven who can escape your gaze, can escape your perfect knowledge of them. And you know perfectly how much and how desperately they they need uh, relief. They need a savior. So we thank you for this moment before the word of God. Deliver us, Lord, through Jesus. May he become sweet and delightful to us as we consider our lives and consider how short this life is. And may we rest in what you say, where you say you can, we, can, we can find you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, sola scriptura. Perhaps that's a new phrase to some of you. Perhaps it's a, a phrase that some of you are very familiar with. I just uh, really appreciate last week, uh, Reverend John Kim, our RUF minister at UH, was able to deliver God's word uh, last Sunday, and I appreciate his, uh, his availability to, to meet. I was in Southern California visiting one of my brothers um, and reminded of how beautiful Hawaii is <laughs> by visiting Southern Cal, which is, has its own beauty, but uh, 105 degree heat. Um, and of course, you in the South will say, well, it's a dry heat, you know. <laughs> and uh, well, I'll match that dry heat with any, of the, any other heat uh, you can produce in Florida because it is... It's, it's sort of run from the car to the house kind of heat. Don't linger in it. And as I drove around with my brother on a couple of different occasions, I looked out upon my hometown, Redlands, uh, which is part of this thing called the Inland Empire. And uh, Riverside, you may have heard of that town, and San Bernardino, and the other other towns in that area. And it has been a at times, boom town area, bust, boom, bust. All kinds of malls have gone in, these cathedrals of consumption. Um, these, these, uh, I, I see all the orange trees are, are pretty much gone, the grapefruit trees are gone, but we have built um, Chipotle or something. You know, we've, we've put in, we put in uh, Applebee's. Um, and so I was just talking to my brother as we are driving along on, Highway 10 there, and explain to him the process of secularization, of, of, the, of the loss of the plausibility of God even to enter into a conversation. I was describing to him that there's nothing in the landscape here that would tell you of anything that's really transcendent, anything that is beyond this world, beyond a restaurant or a, a purchase at the mall. Nothing is transcendent. Nothing is grabbing your attention speaking to you. There are no cathedrals. There are no uh, churches that are at least visible, uh, and everything sort of blends into this, um, this suburban mall landscape. If I had a lot of money, I would buy the old Liberty House Macy's building downtown Kailua, and I would stake the claim for the gospel in the center of Kailua, the inescapable presence of a church building uh, to the, the curiosity of all the traveling uh, tourists. What is this? Come on in, and we'll tell you something great and marvelous. We live in a secular age. 
We live in an age where authority, authority itself has sort of been turned inward. It's just me. It's just whatever I can find in myself to, to desire, to want, to pursue. We're turned in on ourselves. Well, today is Sola Scriptura. We're going to reflect a little bit about Martin Luther and the importance of this vital truth that came out of the Reformation some 500 years ago. I want to cover just a few ideas that the Scripture reveal the power, the power of wisdom that receives Christ. Verse 15, the power of wisdom. The Scriptures reveal with, uh, uh, with power the, the authority of God for the living of the Christian life. The scriptures reveal with authority what it is that we are to do in the Christian life. And then lastly, the scripture reveal with power the way to become competent for doing good in the lives of others. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 15. How from childhood, he's talking to Timothy, his young uh, apprentice, how from, young, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able, circle that word if you, if you like, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Greek here in that word, able, it's a word from which we we get our word dynamic. Um, There's an energy in this word. The scriptures have an ability. They have a strength. Of course, the Spirit of God inhabits the, the word of God and applies it with a dynamic power. And what, what does this power, where does it go? It goes, it leads you to, to becoming wisdom, be, becoming wise, I should say. True wisdom leads to salvation. True wisdom wrestles with your condition in this world. True wisdom looks straight ahead and says, what must I pursue that is lasting and permanent and right and just What must I attach my heart to? And Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures have led you to the wisdom that leads to salvation. The scriptures have the power to make these truths of Jesus about his life and his death, his resurrection, real to us. At the conclusion of our sermon today, we will take the Lord's Supper. And of course, these are elements that are pretty common to us. The, the juice or the wine or the, the bread, well, those are just those are common things. We might consume them regularly in our lives. But in the preaching of the gospel, they take on new significance. And they are presented to us by faith, represented to us as the gospel for us. God speaks in his word, and then he represents his speech through symbols. Parents, you're concerned, I'm sure, with wisdom for your children, aren't you? You're concerned for wisdom for your children. All kinds of wisdom is necessary for our children, but aren't you most, uh, don't you find great joy when your children begin to ask questions of their faith, of questions of Jesus, questions of their Bible, and they begin to seek with a sincere heart. Their faith is developing, and they are, by God's grace, developing wisdom. 
Wisdom grabs hold of Christ by faith. Look at verse 15. So already we are bumping into one of the great uh, solas of the Reformation. That is only by faith, which is such a huge subject, and we will cover that later. But you see that in verse 15. We're we're seeing actually the, the dovetailing of faith and Scripture already in 15 through 17. Now Martin Luther, of course, was a troubled individual until he, by God's grace, discovered the gospel. He, his conscience was deeply disturbed by the holiness of God, rightly so. He took the holiness of God very seriously. And he took the teachings of his church very seriously. He was prescribed a, a method or an approach called penance. And so you must listen to your priest, you must listen to your church, and of course uh, you have fallen from grace, you you have, an, you have a need to rectify your situation, to make yourself right. And so the church prescribes behaviors, prayers, uh, acts of contrition. And if you do these things faithfully and successfully, you can be absolved of, of your sin. But of course, you never fully know what your status is before, before God. And Luther knew that there was something more deeply troubling. And he asked questions like, well, what do I do with the sins I commit when I'm sleeping? <laughs> I mean, there's a guy who's really thinking things through, right? What do I do with these things? In other words, my view of, with the view of sin, if it's total, if it's a total invasion of my desires and wants and pleasures, in fact, I, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. But he listened to everything his church prescribed, but his conscience could not be made free. He was not freed through the wisdom leading to salvation, verse 15. And then, of course, he discovers that the just shall live by faith, Romans 1.17, quoting the prophet Habakkuk. He discovers that it is faith that connects to another. It is not me working with God, working with grace, improving myself, getting more holy somehow, and then at some point I will be declared righteous. No, I am declared righteous by the exercise of faith alone in the righteous one. <laughs> and and he, he took this to heart and it became a fire in him and he stood up against religious tyranny. Remember in his day that many of the cathedrals, many of the chapels would have a chained gate across this part of the church right here, a chained gate, and it would be locked. I'm sure how the priest would be on the other side, I imagine. But behind here, you'd see some relics of the church, and you'd see perhaps a Bible But you as a commoner, you as a regular person had no access to the scriptures. It was chained away from you. Of course, the motive was not to allow the common person to to read this and then come up with heresies. Of course, they had the reasons for this. The precursor of, of Martin Luther was a man named Jan Hus. We call him John Huss, 
And he was from an area of Czechoslovakia called Bohemia. And he was put on trial for many falsehoods. The chief was that he wanted the people to hear the word of God. And he was killed for standing upon scripture for the people. Luther was struck with the clarity of scripture. Now the Bible at times is difficult to interpret. But the Bible is clear in its basic message. It really is. Luther could not lean or depend upon church councils, church traditions. He couldn't find any true substance or solid guidance in the decisions of the church or the traditions of the church. But he found that God was willing to meet with sinners. Where? Where does God meet with sinners? In sort of the collective, sort of the the church experience with people? Sort of throw in some traditions, throw in some superstitions, throw in some magic. The church in his age was filled with mystery and superstition and the people were fearful. And Luther wanted to know where does God meet with sinners? The God who is hidden, the God I cannot see Where can I find him? He was driven mad because he understood somewhere in his memory he heard that there was the forgiveness of sins. And then a a fellow monk was reciting out loud near Luther one day the Apostles' Creed where it states, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And Luther stopped for a moment And thought to himself, someone at some time in church history really believed you could have the forgiveness of sins. Where could he meet God and he could experience that? It would not be through listening to the prescribed behavior of a priest. It would not be in some system of penance. It would not be in calling upon the saints in heaven who have somehow extra points. They have, uh, it's called a treasury of merit. I have to give them some points for creativity here. That 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 the saints who've gone on beyond, for instance, Mary. Mary has more than enough righteousness of her own, more than enough virtue of her own. Well, she's good on her own to get into heaven, but she's got extra points for you. Now, of course, Scripture doesn't teach that. Where can he find the wisdom of 2 Timothy 3.15 that leads to salvation? And, of course, Luther discovers that he can find this wisdom at the cross where God is willing to meet with sinners and to reveal himself. If you want to know me, if you want to find me, I can be found, but I have my authorized representative, Jesus, my son, who represents me. And you can find me, but you must listen to my son. You must see him there 
And you must cast aside who you think you are. You are not righteous. You are not. And you must receive God's substitute for you. And you must receive Jesus by faith. And of course, this is the authority of Scripture. Cast aside your filthy rags of righteousness and believe. Romans 10.10, such a delightful verse for Luther. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Romans 10.10, to believe is to lean upon counterintuitive wisdom. Who of the wise in academia would say, well, if you want to be wise, look at that broken corpse on the cross. That's where you find true wisdom. You will not find that in academia, nor would you find that in the time of Paul with the Greeks or with the Jews. Look by faith at this filthy broken corpse upon the cross and God will reveal himself to any sinner who by faith receives the news that Jesus has come for them. This is the wisdom and it comes with power. Luther, Luther at one point later in his life was reflecting on this, this, all, this all that had happened in his life and he, he, he said, well, really, I did nothing. The word of God did everything. All I did was sit around and drink my Wittenberg beer. And the word of God did everything. That's what a minister should think. Well, this is what I had contributed. Nothing. God did everything. The word of God brings Jesus who would be otherwise cast aside, not as wisdom. What is that? How can someone dying on a cross be wise? How can that lead to wisdom? And of course, God does this. Has God done this with you? Have you heard the preaching of the gospel that has brought you wisdom? As Timothy was raised with the, the, the training of the sacred scriptures, a Jewish mother, Old Testament scriptures, we think here, but Timothy was trained in to revere the scriptures and to understand that by faith someone comes and trusts in their Redeemer. So the scriptures give us this wisdom and it comes with great, great power. And then secondly, look at this remarkable verse. Verse 16, fantastic verse. All scripture is breathed out. That's how the English standards says it. Breathed out. Very poetic. All scripture is breathed out. Some of your translations have inspired. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now think of young Timothy. He's intimidated. He, uh, what, will make me an, what will make me an effective minister? Right? Well, he's being encouraged. Well, Scripture, the, the right application of Scripture in people's lives, that will do it. God himself has breathed out these words I remember, and this, this is a really important uh, truth for us to remember if you're interacting with coworkers at the office. It's, it's a great point of, of discussion and just sort of, it's sort of a kind of, a, I don't know, a gauntlet, a little, a little bit like a gauntlet, but here's, a, here's how you can do it. You can just say, well, if they're sort of questioning your Christianity or I found out you're a Christian or why are you a Christian or whatever their question is, you can always start with Scripture and say, well, do you think God has spoken 
Just go ahead and just, just put it on. Just, and it's a really important place to start because I think there's only three, maybe there's more answers possible, but there's only three I can think of is no, uh, I'm not sure, or yes. And so this is what Francis Schaeffer, a uh, very important leader last 30, 40 years, particularly in the 70s and 80s, Francis Schaeffer would continually write about the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the reliability of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and he would write often on, and he would start sentences or have whole chapters on the subject of, has God spoken? The answer is yes. Has he stuttered? No. Meaning, is there clarity? Is there clarity in Scripture, such that it's reliable. I'm not talking about some obscure text that everyone has a hard time understanding. 98% of the Bible has God spoken. It's an interesting conversation. May God have, have that conversation, lead you to have that conversation with, with one of your coworkers. And you can just smile and say, you know, I really believe God has spoken. God has spoken. He's spoken with clarity. He's spoken with reliability. The scriptures are sufficient and trustworthy. Look at this. All scripture is breathed out for God, for by God, with look at these purposes: teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, all of us should have a collective sigh of relief at this moment. You are relieved from the tyranny of the pastor's opinion. See, that should bring great joy to you. Wow, he is only authorized. He is only to use scripture to correct me. You don't want my opinion to correct you. My preferences, my wishes, my grumpiness, my personality. Uh, 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 no. This is the freedom that you and your conscience are to enjoy. God in his love has given you a church to care for you, direct you, instruct you, yes. But you're free from the tyranny of just sort of subjective opinions that are supposed to bind your conscience. Everyone needs to wear blue shirts. all All these unusual ideas that sort of creep into the church we need to have Scripture be the final authority. Training, correction, rebuking. This tells us of our desperate need as Christians for continued, the continued receiving of God's wisdom. For instance, some of you, perhaps, you're discouraged right now because you're wondering if events in your life are really, really under some master control of someone where something good is happening. You need to hear the scripture. All things are working together. It feels like everything is splitting up in your life. All things are working together for good. That comes from scripture. That corrects a a skewed or wrong interpretation of my life. All things are working together for good. And so, the scriptures are bringing me right to Christ 
who instructs me continually. All scripture is inspired by God. That's the standard. That's the beginning point of sola scriptura. And of course, what Paul is saying there is that it's sufficient for the living of the Christian life. Parents, it's not your opinion. That's to drive the rules in the house. It is the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. You shall honor your father and mother. Your child is to be presented with the truth of honor. They have been made to honor you. They are not your servants. They are not to be treated anything other than made in God's image. But but those children owe you honor, and your part is to train them carefully and lovingly in that. It is not just that dad flies off the handle with some subjective opinion, some cruel way of thinking. It's a calm administration of correction. Of course, Luther is actually embodying 2 Timothy 3.16 in his life. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. So this is, this is what Luther assumes. This is the final arbiter and just the final way we make the decision about what is true is the scriptures. He's actually embodying this as he interacts with his church at the time. See, he's seeking to free to find freedom from the tyranny of traditions and the subjective, the tyranny of subjective opinions of popes and other, uh, other leaders. And then lastly, look at verse 17. The scriptures are God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent. Look at verse 17. Equipped for every good work. Boy, the church in the last, wow, the church, so many, last 50, 60 years, the church has just looked to psychology and sociology and all these other disciplines for answers. The church has, in many ways, abandoned the scriptures as the final authority. Now, of course, we see this in Martin Luther's life. We see him being equipped for this good work of gospel renewal. He's equipped and strengthened by God's grace. He knows the scriptures. He knows the core of what they teach, and he's willing to put his life on the line. He stood up against tyranny with his freed conscience. The scriptures are sufficient to guide us and to equip us for every good work. Everything necessary, everything binding on our consciences, and everything God requires of us is given to us in scriptures. You can be made competent. Now, think about care or counseling each other. Uh, Older women, Titus tells us that you are to mentor younger women with the wisdom of scripture. We are to be caring and loving each other through the wisdom of Scripture. Now, let me just conclude with some thoughts about tyranny in our age. It might feel like a long time ago, like all this 
religious tyranny of the medieval world that Luther went through. I mean, 500 years ago, that might feel like very distant from you. You might think, well, that's Luther's world. and I don't, know, I, I don't really deal with, with, with tyranny in my, in my day. Well, let me first of all define a tyrant as a cruel lord. A cruel lord. A tyrant is one that does not give you relief. It doesn't give you relief. You're never enough. You're never enough. And let me name a few tyrants in our day and see if this can hit home because we need gospel freedom, brothers and sisters. These cruel lords and masters that may not be detected by us. How about the tyranny of always needing to please others? Does that ring home? Does it touch anyone here? The, the false gospel of human approval. Others can provide for me a kind of salvation from my fears. This cruel master never provides the right words or the right acceptance. People are continually looked to for some, some answer, but they never really come through, and so people are a source of great disappointment. Here's another tyrant. The tyrant of whatever is newest is truest. Oh, we love the word new. Advertisers love the word new. Think of the college professors who are walking along the, the, the commons and one of them mentions to the other one, Neil Postman brings this out in one of his books, one of them mentions the other one, well, have you... Have you read the latest study? And of course, the other one hasn't. And immediately, 40 years of scholarship is worthless because whatever is newest is truest. Don't you feel that in our age? Well, you have an iPhone what? An iPhone 5? What? It's craziness. You're using that software. Oh. In other words, whatever is new, it's the tyranny of whatever is new. Of course, C.S. Lewis spoke about the reading of books, and he said that whenever you read a book, make sure you read three old ones before you read a new one. He called it chronological snobbery, that our age is the golden age. Our age is the only age. Consistent theme in all of his writings. wonder why he was so wise. wonder why he was so so able to speak to our age because he took the wisdom of, of the previous ages and could speak so clearly. The, the tyranny of whatever is newest is truest. Are you under that? Are you under that? Do you, do you feel the weight of that? Always in fear of being out of date, not up with the times. This cruel master requires continual energy and anxious searching, postings, updating, upgrading, uploading, downloading, Whatever. The tyranny of the urgent. How about that one? The important things in life are always being put aside. This cruel master arises from a heart that is not at peace. The cruel master of the urgent provides stimulus, even pleasure. Life cannot be imagined without our complete devotion to crisis. The tyranny of the urgent. How about the tyranny of personal control? I and I alone know myself, my needs, and I know how life should be. 
This cruel master seeks to find salvation through a well-ordered life. The tyranny, how about this one, the tyranny of cynicism. There really could be, there really could not be a God who cares and orders this world. This is a false gospel of futility and unbelief. I and I alone must protect myself from a chaotic world, a world where there is no final meaning, and I must, in a sense, save myself. And to do this, I must believe in nothing and in no one. One could add the tyranny of psychology and its proposed solutions and salvation schemes. The tyranny of science as the final word of the universe itself. Carl Sagan, scientist from many years ago, in his book Cosmos, said, first sentence, that the cosmos is all that there ever has been or ever will be. Really? Wow. It's an absolute statement. The tyranny of science, that's how I would describe it, as the final word of the universe itself. Well, there was one who resisted all these false saviors. And these false saviors, in some way or another, were offered to him. Our Lord and Savior resisted all other approaches to life that were not centered on the word of God. And I cry out to you that you would find the scriptures speaking to him and you would believe in him. Cast your life upon him now. Otherwise, you are under some sort of tyrant. You are under a cruel master. God in his love gives you the gospel today. And in your own language. When Luther was translating the Bible into German and expressing how much he wanted his own people to have a Bible in their own language, he was told by his, by his church, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, that he would produce by doing this a thousand heresies. And to this, Luther replied, it is worth it because they will find Christ. So find Christ. Find him in the scriptures. Find him by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you do overrule all heresies, heresies from the pulpit. Lord, you overrule all human frailty. You overrule all human resistance. And uh, you... You can take your word and you can do exactly what you want with it because you are its author. And so, Lord, we bow before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is reliable and sufficient. Help us, help us to submit to you because you are so good showing us Jesus, the one who obeyed the word, the one who completed the word, the one who loved you. 
in his obedience to the word. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.